Well, uh, welcome this week to our new sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. You know, I'm really looking forward to this because, uh, you know, I've been here for five and a half years now, and though we have preached various sermons from different Gospels at different times during different seasons, uh, this is the first time that we're going to tackle a Gospel from beginning to end. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to this. I think this is going to be a, a good time. I'm excited about the journey. And I chose Mark because, you know, of all the Gospels, it's probably the least read Gospel of them all. But uh, I think what's really interesting to me about it is that it is the first gospel written. Uh, and so uh, I want to study it for that reason. Uh, you know, we, we, we know about Matthew and Luke and that they're longer, uh, but they probably drew from Mark's material. And so Mark was probably the first gospel writer, uh, literally inventing a new genre of writing uh, called a gospel. It's not strictly a biography. It's not strictly narrative history. Uh, It's so much more than that. It's got elements of history and elements of biography, uh, but Mark has a theological thrust uh, to this writing, uh, which is really what its purpose is. Uh, He's proclaiming the good news uh, about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from Nazareth. And so Mark challenges us. Here are the facts. Do you believe? Will you follow? So my goal this morning is really small. We're just going to introduce the book of Mark, uh, talk about the first verse, uh, and then we'll just draw out a uh, a few applications uh, as we wrap it up. Uh, So whenever we study a new book of the Bible, uh, you know, we we want to know what the Bible says, but we want to know the context in which it says it. And so uh, when we we study a new book of the Bible, we want to know who wrote the book, uh, why they wrote the book, where were they when they wrote it, who did they write it to? Why did they write it? Uh, what was about the date that they wrote it? And by, by knowing these things, we can glean a certain contextual information uh, from the gospel before we even read the gospel so that we, we, we understand things like uh, when we know who he was writing to or why he was writing, uh, that helps us understand the context and the background uh, of, of the book. And so uh, I think of it like uh, da Vinci, you know, uh, just standing, taking a step back from the Mona Lisa, uh, looking at the entire canvas uh, as a whole uh, before he walks up and examines its individual parts and, and begins to work on those things. So we want to today just kind of look at the Gospel of Mark as a whole from, say, 30,000 feet. Uh, of course, we'll spend the next year or so uh, looking at its individual parts. Uh, but today, we're just going to look at uh, an overview, uh, get some context, and then uh, as we go on, we will approach the canvas ourselves more closely and examine the parts. Uh, so as we do that, we, we're going to ask the, the who, what, where, and why question. So uh, beginning with the who questions, uh, who is the author? Who wrote the Gospel of Mark? Well, you know, technically, uh, this gospel, just like all the other gospels, are uh, anonymous. Uh, no gospel, uh, in no gospel does the author uh, give his name. Uh, so Mark is the same. He didn't identify himself as the author of this gospel. So uh, we have to glean what we know uh, from church history. We rely on the evidence of the early church that, that uh, says that John Mark was the author of this gospel. And the earliest proof of this comes from a uh, church father whose name is Papias. Uh, some of you may have heard of him. His name is Papias. He, he wrote uh, substantially uh, living in, at the end of the first century and the beginning of the second century. But unfortunately, none of his writings exist any longer. Uh, the only place that we have his writings or where they are contained in the writings of other people uh, who copied what he had written. 
So uh, Irenaeus was one of those people. He lived at the end of the second century. He said that Papias was a hearer of John the Apostle. So he heard John the Apostle speak, and he was a, a companion of Polycarp, who was the early uh, martyr of the church, famous martyr of the church. Uh, so those were uh, Papias's contemporaries who wrote about him and what he said. And then uh, Eusebius, who lived in the early 4th century, he had a copy of Papias's writings. Unfortunately, they haven't survived to our day, but Papias had them. And so here is what Eusebius said, uh, quoting Papias about the, orth uh, about the authorship of this gospel. Uh, so Papias cites John the Elder, uh, that's the Apostle John. And the Elder used to say, uh, that's John speaking, Mark, having become the interpreter of Peter, wrote down accurately everything he remembered without, however, recording in what order was either said or done by Christ. For neither did he hear the Lord, nor did he follow him, but afterwards, as I said, attended Peter, who adapted his instructions to the needs of his hearers, but had no design of giving a connected account of the Lord's oracles. So then Mark made no mistake while he thus wrote down some of the things as he remembered them, for he made it his one care not to omit anything that he heard or to set down any false statement therein. So this is Papias writing uh, within a half century at most of, of, of the gospel being written. And we learn a few things from what Papias said. Uh, we learn that, that Papias got his information from John. Well, that's a really good source, right? Uh, so, so that's very apostolic. Uh, and we learn, of course, that Mark was not an eyewitness to the gospel events himself. He was next generation because he was not an original apostle. Uh, Mark got much of the uh, material that appears in his gospel from being a companion of the apostle Peter. Uh, and he was also a, a, a companion of the apostle Paul at different times as well. Uh, we learn from this quote that Mark wrote down everything that he remembered uh, without error, but that he didn't necessarily write it in consecutive order. It wasn't strictly a, a, a chronological uh, gospel. So this quote from Papias is, is very valuable to us because it's probably the earliest evidence we have uh, that Mark was the author of this gospel. And because of this, uh, church tradition has agreed with Mark as the author of the gospel for 2,000 years with no serious challenges. So uh, very well established that John Mark is the author of this gospel. Well, okay, who is John Mark? What do we know about this guy? Well, this is the same John Mark who appears throughout the New Testament in various places. Uh, in fact, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, uh, we learn that he was a cousin of Barnabas. Okay, so he's got a relation uh, who's also a biblical character. This is Barnabas, who was Paul's traveling companion uh, for a little while. Uh, Acts 12 and 13 say that John Mark accompanied Paul and Barnabas on this first missionary journey. Uh, but then, somewhere along the way, in Perga, on that first missionary journey, John Mark abandoned them. Uh, he left them uh, and went home uh, for some unknown reason. And that would have happened in about 46 to 48 AD or so, somewhere in that time range. Then, in Acts chapter 15, we learn that uh, Paul and Barnabas wanted to go again. They wanted to take a second missionary journey. They wanted to go back to all the churches they had visited and, and established on their first missionary journey, and they both thought that was a good idea. Uh, the problem came when uh, Barnabas suggested that they take John Mark with them again. Uh, he wanted to give John Mark another chance, and Paul was dead set against that. He wanted no part of bringing John Mark with him on this second missionary journey since he had abandoned them once before. So uh, that caused such a split between the two 
uh, that what happened was that Paul took Silas and they went on the second missionary journey in one direction. Barnabas took John Mark and he went in another direction. Now, because we have Paul's epistles to the various churches he founded and because we have the book of Acts, we know a whole lot about where Paul went and what Paul did. We don't know anything about where Barnabas and John Mark went and what they did. But the one thing we do know is that John Mark must have grown greatly in his faith uh, during that missionary journey and in the years to follow uh, because uh, Peter and Paul, both later in their ministries, partnered with this same John Mark who had abandoned Barnabas and Paul uh, only a few years earlier. So uh, later on, Paul instructed the Colossians, uh, which was written probably about 60 to 62 AD. Uh, he told them in Colossians 4.10 to welcome John Mark because uh, he is a, a companion of mine. Uh, Paul also listed John Mark as a fellow worker of his in Philemon 24, which was written about the same time as Colossians. While Paul was languishing in a Roman jail at the end of his life, soon to be executed, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, uh, he tells Timothy, Paul does, uh, to bring John Mark with you when you return uh, to me, because he is useful to me in my ministry. Uh, and even in Peter, uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 13, uh, Peter called Mark his son. So isn't that something? that a man who established or uh, who, who was established by Paul and Barnabas as, as one worthy of, of coming on this first missionary journey, and then who fails them, abandons them uh, for reasons unknown, uh, and falls out of favor with Paul, now uh, he is uh, loved by Paul, accepted by Paul, uh, and so uh, received again by Paul, and not only by Paul, uh, but also by Peter. And so Mark needed to grow in his faith, and, and obviously he did. Uh, so he was a companion of both of these. And so what it goes to show us is, is that a rocky start does not necessarily mean that we're going to have a bad ending. Uh, we all stumble in many ways. And just because we stumble doesn't mean we have to fall. We get up again. We move along on the path uh, that God has for us. And Mark obviously did that, handing down uh, this first of the four Gospels to us. Okay. So that's who John Mark was. What about where he wrote this letter from and who was his audience? Well, most likely, John Mark wrote this gospel while he was in Rome. Uh, and he did that while he was accompanying Peter. Uh, and so we have some evidence for that. A few pieces of evidence that we have for that is that uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, which I referenced a minute ago, says, She who is in Babylon, that's a code name for Rome, uh, chosen together with you, sends greetings, and so does my son Mark. So Mark was with Peter uh, at the time in Rome. So that's one reason. And then also the early testimony of the church, from Justin Martyr uh, to Irenaeus to Eusebius, all agree that Mark wrote this gospel from Rome while he was in Rome. And who did he write it to? Well, he wrote this mostly to a Gentile audience, uh, not a Jewish audience for the most part. And we know that because of the language that John Mark used. Uh, so, for example, uh, he used a lot of Latin phrases. Uh, he called the widow's mites. Remember when the widow was putting the two uh, coins into the collection tray? Uh, Mark called those cadrantes, which is a, a Roman coin, uh, probably not the coin he would have, the, the word he would have chosen if he was writing to a Jewish audience. Also, he calls uh, the courtyard a praetorium, which is a Roman word. He might have chosen a different word if he was writing to a Jewish audience. And there are a, a bunch more examples of that that we'll see as we go through Mark. 
Also, uh, we learn that Mark uh, translated Aramaic phrases into Greek for his audience. So uh, when we see verses like Mark 5.41, taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talutha come, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Or Mark 15.22, they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Or Mark 15, 34, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sambachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are all Mark translating this Aramaic language into Greek because his, his Gentile readers would not have read uh, the Hebrew. Uh, they would have been more likely to be able to read the Greek. So that's the second reason why he was probably writing to a Gentile audience. And then there is this third reason, which is very interesting. Have you ever wondered why Mark doesn't begin his gospel with this long genealogy uh, of Jesus's descendancy as Matthew and Luke do? Well, it may be because uh, the gospel was written to Gentiles and the significance of this long Jewish genealogy may have been lost on his Gentile readers. So more than likely, it was written from Rome and to a Gentile audience. Now, when did he write this book? When did he write it and, and uh, what was the occasion for it? Uh, scholars have debated that. Uh, some have proposed dates as early as the 40s, uh, and as late as the 70s, but each of those has serious flaws. Uh, most likely he wrote between the 50s and the 60s, but we'd like to narrow that down if we can even further. So there are some uh, scholars that argue uh, for a date in the early, oh, I'm sorry, the late 50s uh, to the early 60s, and I'll give you some evidence for that. Uh, there is evidence, as I said earlier, that Peter was in Rome at that time, uh, so it makes sense that he could have written it during that time. But also there is this interesting uh, uh, situation with the dating of the book of Acts and how the Gospel of Mark would relate to that. So here's how the argument goes. Uh, Luke wrote Acts in 62 AD. Many scholars think that that is the date that, uh, that that was written. And that's why the book of Acts ends so abruptly. You know how the book of Acts ends with Paul languishing in prison? It just kind of ends. There's no resolution to Paul's case. Well, Paul is in prison and he was receiving visitors, but what happened to him? Did, did he, was he found guilty? Was he executed? Was he released? Uh, the book of Acts ends with us not knowing. So it may end abruptly because uh, Luke uh, just ended it there uh, because the, the resolution of Paul's case hadn't yet been decided. So let's just say, for argument's sake, that he wrote that book in 62, that Acts was written in 62. Well, he must have written the Gospel of Luke earlier than Acts, so maybe that was written in 61 AD. And since most scholars think that Luke relied on Mark uh, to write his Gospel, then Mark must have been written earlier than Luke, which puts the date somewhere around 58 uh, to 60 uh, AD, and that, that makes some sense. But there are a lot of assumptions in that argument, right? Uh, we don't know exactly why Luke ended the book of Acts when he did, like he did. Uh, it may be that Luke was intending to write another volume, Luke, Acts, and then Acts Part 2, where he talked about Paul's release from prison and all that he did after he was released, before he was killed uh, under Nero a few years later. Maybe he intended to write that book, but he never got around to doing it. Maybe he died before he got a chance to finish uh, the book of Acts. So, so we really don't know. 
But if that's the case, he didn't have to write the book of Acts in 62. He could have written it later in the 60s, which would mean that Mark could have written his book later in the 60s. And that makes some sense because uh, we learn that uh, as we go through the book, we'll see that, that the Roman persecution under Nero ramped up quite a bit in the later 60s rather than in the early 60s. And that might uh, account for why there is so much suffering that Mark talks about uh, in his book. So if it was written later, uh, then we have this idea that, that because Peter was in Rome at the time, and because the theme of the suffering servant uh, fits well with the persecution by Nero, perhaps this book was written later in the 60s. Now, none of this really makes that big of a difference to us, but we're trying to figure out, when we think about the dates of a gospel, why it is that, that the themes that we find prominent in the book are there. And maybe it's because this book was written in the late 60s when the persecution under Nero was really ramping up. Uh, so we really can't say for sure. I think a safe guess is to say between 58 and 68 AD is probably when the Gospel of Mark was written. Well, what about the purpose? Why did Mark write this book? <clears throat> you know, it would have been wonderful if Mark, like John, had written something like this. Uh, These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is, or that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So What's John trying to do, right? He's trying to get us to believe. It's, it's pretty plain, right? That is his purpose statement. His purpose is evangelistic. Now, Mark doesn't have a clear purpose statement throughout his book. He never says, this is why I'm writing. So we are left to kind of glean Mark's purposes from the themes that he presents uh, in his gospel. And they do give us a hint. So one theme that permeates the book is, is Jesus uh, as the son of God, but also as the suffering servant of God. When you read Mark, uh, Mark doesn't contain Jesus' long teaching discourses like you find in Matthew and Luke and John. Mark is a book of action. It's all about what Jesus does. Uh, immediately, Jesus went there, and, and he cast out demons, and immediately that demon left him, and immediately he went to another place and performed other works of healing or casting out demons, and immediately he was persecuted in response. And so uh, this book is of action. This is, this is how uh, Mark presents Jesus as this man who is doing, healing, uh, and being persecuted in response. And Mark wants us to know that Jesus is God, which emphasizes his deity, uh, but also this, this theme of suffering that permeates the book shows that he was not received very well either, uh, and that he suffered for claiming uh, this deity, which stresses his humanity. He, he, he suffered uh, just like we do. So Jesus as the suffering son of God is one prominent theme. But another prominent theme is a call to discipleship. Uh, that's a very prominent theme in this book. For those who would uh, follow Jesus, we must accept Jesus' mission and be faithful to him on the way to glory through suffering. Now, as we read this book, we just can't help but notice as we're thinking about the disciples that, that Mark consistently portrays them as, as clueless, uh, slow to learn, almost embarrassingly unfaithful at times. And just as an aside, this is more strong confirmation uh, that John Mark probably wrote this gospel and was given this information from Peter. Because who better than Peter uh, to give Mark the information about an apostle who's coming across as clueless, who often puts his foot in his mouth and says dumb things and, and even denies Jesus three times. Uh, so Peter's humility shines through this gospel. You can almost hear Peter speaking through Mark uh, these words on the pages that we have had. 
Uh, Peter, Peter's humility shines through, but, but he repented and he was used greatly by God. And so Mark, as, as Peter's uh, a transmitter of, of, of this gospel story. He never sugarcoats the apostles' ignorance, and, and he never lets them off the hook when they, when they do dumb things. He, he allows us to, to know uh, that the apostles were imperfect as well. And so Mark's gospels often portray these apostles, and when we think about it, by association, he portrays us as well as his followers as we really are sometimes, often uh, unfaithful, dim-witted, and slow to understand. Uh, and, and that is the condition that we find ourselves. And yet, all the while, uh, Jesus was patient with his apostles, uh, just as he is patient with us. Uh, he's encouraging them on the road to discipleship. And that's why in the Gospel of Mark, uh, you don't often see Jesus alone. Uh, we see him in other Gospels. He's on the mountaintop praying frequently, and he goes off to be alone. In Mark, he's almost always with his disciples, showing them who he is by action. Uh, this is what he does, and, and teaching them when they're too, too dull to understand. And all the while, he's demanding a response from them. Uh, who do you say that I am? Will you believe me? Will you follow and so those questions, I think, are just as relevant to us today as they were back when Jesus asked them of them, of the disciples. Okay, how about the structure of Mark? Now, the structure of Mark is very interesting. Many commentators have noticed and uh, written down that, that this book is, is structured geographically. It's as, the book, it's as if the book moves through three separate acts uh, geographically, uh, moving from uh, north to south with, with each region, a new act in the gospel. So act one could be called Jesus in Galilee. That's the uh, northern part of the map up there, that tiny lake, that's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, all of the action in Mark takes place uh, through, the, through chapter 9 up in Galilee. Uh, Jesus doing, uh, doing his work, calling his disciples, performing healings, uh, doing miracles in Capernaum and its surrounding towns and villages, uh, feeding the hungry, casting out demons, showing his authority over nature, uh, over sickness, even authority over death. Uh, is, all that's happening in the first nine chapters up around Capernaum. And he's doing all this while dealing with opposition uh, from people who want to kill him, and even from his own family, as we'll see in chapter 3, uh, who, who won't believe in him. So Act 1 reaches its, cli its climax uh, when Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? And then Peter gives the great confession, uh, Jesus as the Son of God. And then Jesus telling the apostles, uh, if you're going to follow me, you better count the cost. You better count the cost because you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me if you want to be my disciple. And then he even goes as far as to predict his own death. All that happens up north in Galilee. Act 2 could be called Jesus on the way. Uh, this is chapter 10. Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, uh, where he's going to finally, ultimately suffer martyrdom. Uh, Jesus leaves Galilee on the way toward his Passion Week. Uh, passio is the Latin word for suffering, which is why we call it his Passion Week. Uh, here we see Jesus teaching the apostles on divorce, humility, <clears throat> the obstacle of, of pursuing wealth, and how that gets in the way of our following uh, Jesus Christ as we hear about the, uh, the, the, his encounter with the rich young ruler. Uh, and uh, we also get Jesus' great purpose statement for why he came in this section. I came not to be served, uh, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's in Mark chapter 10. 
he came to Jericho. That was his last stop before Jerusalem. And there he heals blind Bartimaeus, who immediately jumps up from his healing and follows Jesus on the road to Jerusalem, which is what Jesus wants from us, to follow him on the road of discipleship, just like blind Bartimaeus did. We could call Act 3 Jesus in Jerusalem. From the beginning of chapter 11 all the way through the end of the book, Mark describes the last week of Jesus' life, beginning with the triumphal entry, continuing uh, with a combination of conflict with the religious leaders and teaching uh, his disciples, ending with his death, burial, resurrection, and then the disciples' response to uh, what they had seen, what Jesus' resurrection meant. And so the questions uh, throughout the whole book are, who is Jesus and will you follow him? Okay, that's enough on the introduction. I think we have good background, good context for what we are going to learn in the book of Mark. Uh, So let's just look today at the first verse of Mark's gospel, which is going to set the table for the rest of the book, the beginning of the gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, that is not very many words, but I guarantee you that it is packed theologically, and that is Mark's intent right out of the gate. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, is probably Mark's title for the book. You know, Mark didn't write the Gospel of Mark across the top of his book. That was added later. Uh, But this is probably his title for the book. Uh, John, or I'm sorry, John Mark uh, chooses this word gospel, uh, which is an interesting word. Uh, Just to give you a little uh, etymology, background on the word, uh, the, the Greek word is euangelion. Uh, That translated into Latin as evangelion. Now, evangelion came into the Old English as goad spell. Goad was the word for good, and spell meaning story or news. So it became the goad spell was the good news or the good story. Now, eventually, the D got dropped out as the old, Old English became our English, and so we are left with the word gospel. So, euangelion, to us in English, gospel. That's how we got the word. Uh, But euangelion was a very common word in those days. Uh, uh, but, But how is the life and death of Jesus good news? Well, you might read a book on, say, Winston Churchill or Abraham Lincoln, and you might be impressed by the things that they accomplished or, or some of the things that they did. But neither one of those, Winston Churchill or Lincoln, have the power to save your soul for all eternity, right? They affected history, but it's not saving your soul. But what what Mark is doing here is saying these Gospels are so much more than biographies. Uh, These are theological treatises proclaiming that humanity is lost in sin and, and that the solution to man's sin is Jesus Christ. Now, for you and I, we receive lowercase g, good news, all the time, right? Uh, the x-ray came back negative. Uh, the diagnosis uh, was, was positive. Uh, we got a raise or a promotion at work. Uh, our kids made it somewhere safely. That's lowercase g, good news. But then there's uppercase g, good news, right? Salvation securing good news. That is what the gospel is. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's why I say that Mark, as the first gospel writer and the first writer to use this word euangelion theologically like this, that's how he invented a new genre of writing. He's proclaiming the good news by which we can be saved. So uh, we might say uh, that Mark 
uh, in inventing this, this new genre, he wrote a gospel, right? A gospel, which is a genre of writing uh, to relate history, biography, and theology so that we might believe the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That is what Mark is after here. Uh, so that is the beginning of the gospel. Now, the next thing we see is Jesus Christ, the, go- the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure you know that Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? That's not a last name. It's a title, right? It's a title. Uh, it comes from the Hebrew Mashiach and, and the Greek uh, Christos, uh, meaning the anointed one. And so by calling Jesus the Christ, that's a theological statement right in the first verse of the book. He's proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who God anointed to save. Now, obviously, by the time Mark wrote this book, Jesus had lived his life, he had died, uh, he had risen from the dead, uh, and, and that's why this is good news, because Jesus is alive again. Now, the Jewish leaders, they didn't believe that he was the Christ. They conspired to kill him. Uh, the Romans, uh, they conspired to do this as well. The Jews alleged heresy, uh, saying that because he called himself the Son of God, he needs to die. When Pilate was unimpressed with that claim, he couldn't have cared less what, they, what a Jewish person said uh, about a conflict with Jewish religion. But when they accused Jesus of sedition, uh, when he called himself a god, well, that makes him a rival uh, to Caesar. And Pilate had to take that claim seriously. Uh, so Jesus never denied that he was God. Uh, And in fact, uh, Pilate tried to release him, but it's Jesus' claims to deity uh, that got him in so much trouble, right? And that ultimately got him killed, humanly speaking. Now, we know, of course, that God orchestrated the whole thing. Uh, This was the plan from the very beginning of how a God would save mankind. But when Mark called Jesus the Christ in the first verse of this account, This is really a theological statement. He was proclaiming that all that Jesus said about himself was true. Though the Jews denied him, though the Romans executed him, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. Jesus did all the things that the Old Testament predicted that he would do. Israel's Messiah would give sight to the blind. He would cause the lame to walk. Uh, He would cleanse lepers, cure deafness, raise the dead, and preach the good news to the poor. And so throughout the gospel, Mark shows that Jesus was the Messiah through action. Jesus did all these things uh, throughout his gospel. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and finally, the Son of God. The Son of God. This phrase immediately declares the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He came as a man, but as God's unique Son, he is also divine. And no one else can claim this relationship with God. Jesus is no ordinary servant. He's not just a good man, as many have argued to their own doom. Jesus, as the Son of God, came to do what no man could do, and that is to take away our sins. Son of God is a very important theme throughout the Gospel of Mark. We'll see it repeatedly. Uh, God called Jesus his son at his baptism and at the transfiguration. Uh, Demons use this term uh, when they fell at his feet before Jesus cast them out. Uh, Jesus himself used it in parables in Mark. He called uh, his father Abba, meaning daddy, as a son would talk to his father. Uh, During Jesus' trial, the Sanhedrin uh, asked him, accused him, saying, uh, demanding to know if he was the Son of God. 
And even the Roman centurion at the end of the gospel uh, says uh, to, uh, to, to whoever was listening, I suppose, uh, truly this man was the son of God. What powerful, powerful testimony uh, from a Roman centurion. So by starting his account as he does, as Mark does, by proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, Mark is cluing us in as the readers uh, as to the identity of Jesus Christ long before any of the people in the book, the, the, the disciples or apostles, uh, figure this out. And this is a common device uh, that, that authors or movie makers uh, use uh, to let the audience in on a secret before the characters in uh, the story actually know uh, something. And that enhances the suspense, and it makes us wonder, what's going to happen in this book? How are they going to figure out what we already know now, that Jesus is the Christ, uh, and how they're going to learn uh, about the truth of Jesus, uh, the Christ, the Son of God, and, and how are they going to learn that his coming, his death, and his resurrection is good news? Well, Mark is going to tell that story throughout the rest of the gospel. And next week, when we, or next time when we get started with this, uh, Mark is going to start right out by giving three witnesses who are going to attest to who Jesus is. And they are John the Baptist, Isaiah, and God himself. So Mark comes out of the gate pretty strong, witnessing for who Jesus is and presenting his proofs. So we'll get to that next time, but for now, I just want us to think about some applications uh, as we close uh, this morning. And the first one, as I said earlier, is that it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Uh, I said earlier that Mark had a, a rough start on the road to discipleship. He's going on this missionary journey, then he abandons uh, the people who take him. The Bible never records the reasons why he abandons them or his emotions over doing it. But what we do know is that Mark grew in his faith and he became uh, a serious Christ follower. And in that, he was really no different than his mentor Peter, right? Uh, Peter was a strong Christ follower in the beginning, at least so it seemed, uh, until his faith was tested and then he denied Jesus three times. Uh, but look how God used Peter, right? Uh, Jesus reinstated him three times, one for each denial, and then Peter goes off and becomes uh, this great evangelist, uh, contributing two books to the New Testament, and, and his fingerprints are all over this Gospel of Mark. Uh, so it's not how you start, it's, it's how you finish. And so if you're like me, uh, there are things in your life that you regret. Uh, there are times when, when God has called you to something and you didn't, uh, didn't take him up on that. You, you failed him. Uh, there are times when, when, when you have done things that you regret. You call yourself a Christian, and yet you did something that was embarrassing to yourself or your family or to God. Uh, we're all in the same situation that Mark and Peter were in. Uh, we would do things differently, but the, the, but the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ means that there is good news for you and for me. No matter how we've started, no matter what we've done, there is always, always grace at the foot of the cross. And so once we've repented and he's forgiven our sins, uh, he's wiped our slate clean and he's called us to new life, uh, a life of service to him, free from the guilt of whatever it is that we've done in the past, whatever we've done. So for us, for you and me, don't dwell on your past. The past is behind you. Paul said, I forget what's behind me and I go forward to the onward call of Jesus Christ. So don't dwell on your past. Live for today. Resolve to finish well. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Secondly, believe in Jesus. Mark 
proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah in the very first verse. He challenged his readers to believe the evidence that he provided throughout the rest of the book. And so he didn't write about the miracles and the healings and the casting out demons as human interest stories that we would just be interested in, right? He's calling us to something. There's a theological thrust to this. Believe. He wrote with a theological purpose that we would believe what he had written, that Jesus is who he claimed to be, and that by believing, we can have life in his name. So do you believe? Uh, if you're hearing these words and you do not believe, may today be the day that you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. And finally, follow Jesus. The gospel is the gateway to eternal life. If we believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, we are saved. But the gospel is so much more than just the gateway to eternal life. As Jesus encouraged the disciples throughout the gospel of Mark, we must take up our cross and follow him to become his disciples through suffering, through hardship, through persecution, uh, through confusion, through failed plans, bad, bad diagnoses, financial trouble, family trouble. No matter what happens to us, a true disciple of Jesus follows hard after him. Now, you and I, we live in a world that is off the rails, right? We can't read the news for five seconds and just wonder what in the world is going on. This call to follow after Jesus is not a half-hearted call. Uh, this is no time in history uh, for half-hearted, lukewarm disciples. Uh, the challenges the world faces today, the challenges that you and I face today, call for nothing less than 100% full-blown commitment to Jesus Christ. He is the only hope for our world. So believe, follow hard after Jesus. That is what a true disciple does, and we'll see that throughout the book. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, how Mark proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and and Lord, that this, this gospel has come down to us 2,000 years later and we can still hold it in our hands, Lord. We are so thankful for that. We thank you and praise you, Lord, for the gift of faith. And Lord, we ask you also for the gift of courage that we might follow you, Lord, uh, through thick and thin, uh, through good times and bad, Lord. A true disciple uh, is one who follows uh, even when times are tough, Lord, and especially when times are tough. Uh, Lord, may we uh, be your disciples and be lights uh, to this world that is in such desperate need of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.